Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say to them, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison, with it, in comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord of hosts. He says, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I have coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts, and the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we endeavor to break the bread of life, that you would speak to us, Lord, in a powerful way. God, right now, grip and arrest our hearts. I bind every spirit of distraction in this place today, whether it's phones or thoughts or whatever may be coming against them right now. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be arrested and focused upon your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Well, as you're seated, turn around beside you and behind you real quick and just tell everybody good morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we're excited that you're here this morning. I hope that you're getting back in your routine. Those of you who are kids and and parents and the swing of school and all of those good things, I hope that all of that is, is kind of resettling in your heart and in your life. I know that routine for me is a good thing. I like routines. But um, anyway, this morning, uh, we're going to continue and actually finish our series, uh, Revive Us. I will tell you, the last few weeks, God has been moving, and he's been uh, moving on people's hearts around these altars at the conclusion of each service as we've sought God together. And we have uh, endeavored to host his presence. Uh, This week, this morning, I believe will be no different. But um, as we get into our message a little bit, I want to talk to you from the subject today, the greater glory. Can you say that with me? The greater glory. I want you to say it one more time for those of you who are slow. Amen. The greater glory. We're going to talk about the greater glory. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever looked back, especially when life is tough, things are discouraging, you look back and say, man, those were the good old days. Those were the good old My wife, just last night, she was saying, hey, hon, look at this. And she pulled up a comparison that somebody had posted on, on how, how much inflation has impacted us just over the last couple of years. The, the price of milk, the price of eggs, the price of gasoline. It's no wonder why everybody's struggling a little bit, right? And it's easy for us to look back and when, when milk was this price and eggs were this price and we say, man, those were the good old days. But we become jaded sometimes because we forget that them good old days weren't as good as we think they were. 
They came with their own issues. They came with their own sets of problems. Yes, life was simpler and there was a much easier life in regards to no technology and things of that nature. But there were still things of those days that were difficult. In fact, Solomon said it in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, do not look at the former days and say the good old days were better. For that thinking is not wise, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. But Solomon in his wisdom begins to tell us those things because Solomon saw the glory of God. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the greater glory of God. In our passage this morning, the prophet Haggai, one who theologians call him the minor prophet, a minor prophet, addresses the remnant of Israel that had returned to Jerusalem. So you got to understand that uh, in Jerusalem's prime, the children of Israel had, had built this temple. Last week we talked about it a little bit. Solomon had built this temple, right? We went from this portable tabernacle where the fire of God was to ever be burning upon the altar and the Shekinah presence of God filled that place. There was a, a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that symbolized God's indwelling and abiding presence with the children of Israel. They were to move it from here to there everywhere they went. Then we see the dedication of the temple of Solomon where the fire of God came down and consumed with his divine presence. The Bible tells us that Israel got off into sin, and, and anyway, to make a long story short, that temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed. It was torn down. It was into ruins, and everything was displaced. And Israel, God's people, was taken into captivity. They were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom would be the, the, uh, Israel. The southern kingdom would be Judah. And they had went on into their own places. But there came a point in the life and time of Jerusalem, in the captivity, where some of the remnants of people came back to Jerusalem after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So they began this rebuilding process. They had gotten a word from the Lord to rebuild this holy temple. So you've got to understand this morning that this temple was not just a building. It was not just a place. But this temple symbolized the abiding presence of Almighty God. This, this almighty presence of God was to abide among his people. And when this presence was not abiding with the people of God, it was a reproach. You want to you know what it's like to not have the presence of God? Just ask Israel when they had captured the ark of God and it ended up in the house of Obed-Edom. The Bible says that when the ark of God returned to Israel, rejoiced because they knew what it was like to have his presence and they knew what it was like not to have his presence. Can I tell you something this morning? It's one thing to have God's presence and it's another thing not to have God's presence and I can tell the difference. Can you? We got to know when the abiding presence of God is upon our lives. And so, Haggai delivers a word from the Lord to these people to encourage them. He, he emphasizes the fact that I know that you saw the way that it used to be, but God has something in mind in your days. He reminds them that the presence of God will dwell in the midst of the temple and his blessing will be upon them. But yet the prophet speaks prophetically of a future time where God will shake all nations. 
And they will bring to him the desire of all nations. And the wealth will come in to Jerusalem. And the glory of that latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Church, this morning, I, I want to tell you, I'm appreciative of what God did. But I believe that God is going to do greater things in our day. The scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of humanity the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, my only hope this morning in this sin-cursed world where everything is going array and problems and disease and poverty is racking this world, the only hope that I cling to is that I might see the goodness of God the land of the living. I believe God can visit us once again. Does anybody believe in God to revive us once again? You see, if I were to look in our passage this morning and I were to break it down just real simply, there are a couple of things that I want us to see. But I want us to go back to our text for just a moment, to Haggai chapter 2. Look at verse 1 through 3 with me. Let's read it together. The Bible says in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet. He said, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant. Everybody say the remnant. To the remnant of the people. And he said, who is left among you who saw this temple in his former glory? And how... Do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? See, this morning, I want to talk to you, number one, about reflecting on the past. Reflecting on the past. These precious people were looking at what used to be. Everybody say reflecting on the past. You know, it's okay to reflect on the past. The past is important for us to look at. Uh, it's been said that it's important for us to note that the car, the automobile that we drive, it has two particular viewing mechanisms that all of us use aside from, from the side mirrors. There is the uh, windshield and there is the rear view mirror, correct? Now, how many of you know the windshield is a greater size than is the rear view mirror? That's because when we go forward in life, we're not meant to drive looking into the rearview mirror of our automobile. It's meant to, gla to, to glance upon periodically so we can gauge what's behind us. But if we ever get our focus off of what's in front of us, we will quickly lose our direction. The children of Israel had come out of bondage. They had been enslaved. God had birthed them to be a free people, but now they had found themselves in slavery. And they have returned back to their homeland, and now they see just piles of rubble. And the prophet asked them, which among you that are left of this remnant remember this temple in its former glory? Now, I got I to tell you something. The temple of Solomon was amazing. It was built specific with the dimensions that God had given Moses. It was 
beautiful. All of the wealth of the world had been brought into this place. All of the silver, all of the gold, all of the tapestries, the fine linen and the purple and all of those things. And the Bible said that when it was built, God's very divine presence as a fire from heaven came down and kissed that sacrifice, lighting that fire that was to never go out. And that fire was to burn in that place. Behind that veil, on the other side of that altar of incense, was the holy ark of the covenant. Inside that ark of the covenant was manna. It, it was, there, was, there were things that they were to put in there. One of them was, was manna. It was to, to symbolize to Israel God's faithfulness in the wilderness, to provide for them when it seemed like all hope was lost. Inside of that Ark of the Covenant was the, the, the budded rod of Aaron that when God chose one of the, the, the men to lead, he, he used that rod that was to bud, and that was on the inside of there. The, the tablets of the testimony were inside that Ark of the Covenant, and on the outside it was overlaid that acacia wood was with gold, and there were cherubim on top of it with the wings covering their face, and in the middle was the mercy seat. It symbolized the divine, holy presence of God. This Ark of the Covenant was so precious that people were not allowed to mishandle it. When it was built, they had to have gold rings around it, and there were staves, large poles, and the priests were to put them upon their shoulders and transport the Ark of the Covenant. The Old Testament records a man by the name of Uzzah who, um, who was uh, transporting this ark, which was only designed to be transported upon the shoulders of the priest, but he got tired of the heavy load. And so he decided to build a, a cart, a new cart, and with some new wheels. And he put that cart on there, and the oxen began to transport it down those cobblestone streets. And all of a sudden, that oxen hit a bump, and that ark began to stumble and Uzzah reached out to steady the ark of God with his hands and the Bible says the divine judgment of God killed him dead because he mishandled the glory of God see our flesh is not designed to handle the glory of God in that way but Israel had that presence of God there it was so beautiful the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon's temple and the scripture records that her breath left her body. She fainted after seeing the glorious wonder of what God had done. The Bible also records that the glory of God was in that temple so much that the cloud appeared. The weighty presence of God, so much so that the priests couldn't even stand to minister. They were on their face as the holy reverence and awe of the Shekinah presence of God filled that tabernacle. And I want you to fast forward for a minute. There are people who experience that type of glory who are now standing looking at an ash heap of what used to be. They're looking at the past, and the prophet says, Who among you has seen this temple in such glory? See, God was faithful. He had got them back to their place. He had brought them back to their land. But now they're looking at what used to be. To be honest with you, it's easy 
for us to live in those days. When we've experienced the presence of God in such a way that's so powerful. Folks, listen to me. We can look back on history and we can see God, how he's moved in his glory and his power. I can point back to the 50s, even the 40s and the 50s, when the tent revival sweeped America. I can point back to where ambulances would often stop by churches on the way to the hospitals because they had heard that there was a move of God that was happening and people were being healed by the power of God. Literally, you can look and see A.A. Allen and Smith, uh, not Smith Wigglesworth, but A.A. Allen and Oral Robertson and, and different people of that nature who in, the, in those early days of the Pentecostal movement in the United States were operating in such a glory that, listen, you would walk into a church and there would be crutches hanging on the wall, wheelchairs hanging on the wall. There would be braces that people no longer needed. There was a glory that was there. Oftentimes, revivals would go for days and days and days. Not just days, but weeks. People would lose track. Oftentimes, there was no guest speaker. There was no publicized Facebook event page. Nobody was calling the church saying, I might come. Who's preaching tonight? Because they knew that it didn't matter who was preaching. The glory of God was present in his house. And people were saved and they were delivered and they were healed. People came in alcoholics and they left sober. They came in perverse and they left straight. They came in all different types of ways and they were changed by the glory of God. Friends, I'm telling you there was a time in our nation where God was moving in such power. My mind is, is, is brought back to uh, the, um, the mind of how during the days of the prohibition, when there was an evangel, a Baptist evangelist by the name of Billy Sunday, who preached such powerful messages under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he literally caused all of the bars to shut down. All of the bars to shut down. Why? Because there was no need for business. Sinners were being saved. People were being transformed by the presence and the power of the almighty presence of God. We can look back on the past and we can see the all-night prayer meetings. People baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Testimonies of our grandparents having to be brought out of church because at the end of the service they were still in the altars praying. And for days, their testimonies of people in the early days of our Pentecostal movements who could not speak English for two days because they were under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to look back at the past. And get discouraged. I believe that's where they were. Because I want you to notice this in verse number three. He said, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? What is your perspective? In comparison with what you see now and what you saw in your eyes as this as nothing? I believe it's easy for us sometimes to get into the comparison game 
We begin to see how God moved and how he, he, he moved in glory one way. And because it doesn't look just the same as it used to, it's easy for us to get discouraged. That's the way the prophet was trying to communicate to the people of that day. See, number one, you've got to reflect on the past. But number two, we've got to embrace the present. Verse number four of our text tells us this. He says, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Somebody say, be strong. He said, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Somebody say, and work. Come on, I got a word from the Lord from somebody today. I know it may not look like what it used to look like, but the word of the Lord to you this morning is work. God never gave us permission to sit down in the middle of our discouragement. He never gave us permission to sit down in the middle of a fight. He always says to work. Why? For I am with you. Says the Lord of hosts, verse 5, according, listen to this, according to the word that I coveted with you when I came out of Egypt, whoo, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Listen, God said, I know it doesn't look like what it used to look like, but when you came out of Egypt, I gave you a word. I will be with you. I will go with you. I will tabernacle among you. So don't fear. He begins to tell them not to be discouraged. See, in the middle of discouragement, you got to hold on to what you know. See, just like them, it's easy for us to look back and see what God had done. The glory of Solomon, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. It's easy for us to look at the Shekinah presence of God and say, what in the world is going on here? But here was the word of the Lord to them, was to work. And by work, he said, I want you to rebuild this temple. Build it from the ground up. Because what was was no longer, and it had been stripped away. But now he tells them to begin the process, and he says, don't fear my presence is with you. I made a covenant with you, and I'm not a God who breaks my covenant. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And I can just begin to imagine how the children of Israel must have felt as they went back to the pile of bricks and they began to build this temple, the foundation, the walls, the inner courts, the outer courts, the inner chamber, the holy of holies. And here they put up this veil. Stay with me. But there was something missing from this veil. See, here we have a theological conundrum. Help me, Jesus. You see, when the temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple came down to ruins. There was something that was lost. And it was that holy Ark of the Covenant. To this day, still not been recovered. There are those who claim to know its whereabouts, but it's never been recovered. 
Some say it's under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's probably a likely place. Others say it's in Ethiopia, different places. But that ark, which represented the presence of God, was gone. Watch this. They're building the temple, and there's no ark. And yet they have a word from the Lord that the glory of that latter house would be greater than the glory of the former. Hold on just a second. What do you mean? God, there's no ark. Not just the ark. The Talmud, other Jewish writings tell us that not only was the ark not there, but the, the umum and the thumum, which they would use to make distinctions. There were the two stones on the breastplate of the high priest that would light up in judgments. They were not there any longer. There were other articles that were not there. It was the very base elements. And I imagine that the people got discouraged because they said, God, how is the temple going to have glory if there's no ark of the covenant? See, some people get upset and say, say, God, how are we going to have church if there's no red bag hymnal? But you need to understand they had no ark. That veil was vacant on the other side. What they were used to was no longer there, and they wondered how in the world are we going to experience the presence of God. But friends, my God, this is what he told them. My presence has never been about that box. That box was only symbolic of my presence. But Israel, even if everything is destroyed, you still have a word from the Lord, and my glory shall be with you. And notice what he said. It's going to be a greater glory. See, God never works in rewind. He always works in fast forward. And what God did in the past is great, friend. But listen, it is just a stepping stone for what he wants to do in our future. Don't get bogged down with discouragement. We've got to hold on to what we know. God said, my glory will be abiding with you forever. And so they built, and they built, and they built. Then we enter into what's known theologically as the second temple era. Herod, Herod the Great, this is known as Herod's temple. If you go to Jerusalem today, the only remnants of this temple is the Wailing Wall. Because in the year 70 A.D., the prophecy which was spoken by Christ in Matthew 24 came to pass. When Jesus was up on the Mount of Olives during the Olivet Discourse, and he's giving the disciples the what for, he's talking to them about life, he's looking down at the temple, and he says, not one of these stones will be left on top of each other. They'll all be thrown down. In the year 70 A.D., Jerusalem was surrounded by the Romans. Whew. Are y'all ready for this? And Israel was scattered again. Ending the second temple era. Today, there's still no temple. The retaining wall, which is what we call the wailing wall, 
It's the only remnant left of that temple. Once again, looking to the future, Israel had that temple taken away from them. But hidden in Haggai chapter 2 is prophecy. And here's what I want you to see as we look at this. Look at verse number 6 with me. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while. Meaning it's a, it's a future event. Notice this. I will shake the heaven and the earth. I'm going to shake the sea. And I'm going to shake the dry land. And then notice this. I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. Woo! And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord. Now, we've reflected on the past. I want to stop right here, and I want us to embrace the present. They're, they're, they're standing where they are. And the prophet is speaking to them about rebuilding this second temple. At this moment, they were unaware that once again, this temple would be destroyed. It's a sad reality. Being that the temple was such a central place of worship for God's people. But again, that second temple did not have the Ark of the Covenant. did not have some of the very things that the original temple had in it. But yet the Bible said it had glory in it. We know for a fact the presence of God dwelt there. We know that there, were, there was worship there. There was offerings there. There was a meeting places with God there. But yet it wasn't quite like the first it was different. But in the midst of all of this, there is an anticipation that the prophet sees and he shares with the people. And I want you to look back with me at verse number six. Let's read it again. Number three, we're going to look at anticipating the future. Number six, uh, verse number six. He says, for thus says the Lord of hosts once more. It is a little while, and I will shake the heaven and the earth, the sea and the land, and I will shake all the nations. They shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill the temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. Whew. I don't know if you know what you just read this morning. But I'm talking to you today about the greater glory. I'm here to tell you this morning that what God did in the past is wonderful. But it's no comparison to what he's about to do. Whew, the Bible says all the suffering and present things that's going on right now is nothing to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. God is about to do something tremendous. See, that second temple is built. You and I have entered into what's commonly known as the church age. In this church age, we're in what theologians have called the dispensation of God's grace. The blood of Christ, the 
power and presence of the Holy Spirit has filled this wonderful temple. Temple not made with hands of man, but the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. You and I can experience one-on-one the indwelling presence and glory of God. But it's important for us to note in the book of Haggai, the audience here is the Jewish people and the people of the land, the remnant who's left from Israel. That he gives them something prophetic. He says, once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Folks, I don't know if you can feel the tremors right now, but they're happening all around us. Whoo, this is good stuff. I don't know about you, but I'm about ready for an address change. The Euphrates River's drying up to a point to where they can walk across it ankle deep. The book of Revelation says that, that, that during the tribulation period when the Euphrates River dries up, there are angels that are bound underneath that bottomless pit. Spirits. It'll be like none other we've ever seen. You see, a lot of us have made this world our home. We need to not forget that though the Bible says that God promised never to flood this earth with water, he said the next time he'll renovate it with fire. And there's coming a day where all of the elements shall melt with fervent heat. There's coming a day, my friend, when Jesus is coming back. And I believe that before he comes, there's going to be a great ingathering of souls into the kingdom of Almighty God. The prophet Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I know the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away, and it has to happen before the Antichrist is revealed. I believe they're going to be simultaneously happening in the last days. But I do believe there will be an ingathering of God's great glory with people coming to Christ. You think the world's bad now? You had not seen anything when the church is taken out of here. You think inflation's bad now? You think money doesn't purchase much now? You don't know anything. Until the Antichrist government says you have to have a mark in order to buy or sell. For those who are not saved and those who have missed the coming of Christ will have to make a choice. It's terrible. Why am I saying all that this morning? The reason why I'm trying to say that this morning is this, because there's coming a greater glory. Here's what the Bible tells us. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. And I've got enough prophetic insight to believe this morning he wasn't talking about the second temple. Because he said it will be, and it'll be a little while, he said, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Friends, the Bible says that there's coming a time during the tribulation period where God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. When the church is out of here, here's what you got to understand. The Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty. 
I believe it'll be between the, the Muslims and the Jews over the Temple Mount. That's what I believe personally. They're going to start building that temple. You know they got everything ready. They've got the oil. They've got the golden lampstands built. They've got the breastplate of the high, the breastplate of the high priest. They've got all of the stones. They've got uh, everything. They, they, they're working on the, the red heifer. They, they're having red heifers come in, analyzed in Israel all the time. But they said, the only thing we're for sure missing is the Ark of the Covenant. And they told us several years ago, we know where it's at. The Bible tells us there's going to be a third temple. In that three and a half year period, right in the middle of the seven years, that temple's going to be finished. And the Antichrist is going to say, I'm just going to tell these people I'm God. I'm going to get in the middle of it. I'm going to make myself an image. And I'm going to declare that he's God committing what the Bible calls the abomination of desolation. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. And at that point, the wrath of God is released upon the earth, and it's the last half of the seven years called the Great Tribulation. Now, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Ooh, are you ready for this? But the Bible tells us in the, in the, in, in the book of Revelation... In chapters 19 and 20 and 21. This is good. The Bible says, I, John, saw, looked up and I saw the new Jerusalem of God coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. That new Jerusalem, a new temple. There's no need for the light in that temple. For the glory of God is the light. There is no need for the sun, the moon, or the stars because the very presence of God will illuminate that temple. And for once and for all, all nations will come in. And notice what he says, I will fill this temple with glory. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, and the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Notice this, and in this place I will give peace. Let me tell you about that former, that, that latter temple. That latter temple will have peace because the prince of peace will be sitting upon the throne. He said there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more despair, no more heartache, no more sickness, no more things. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Go back to Solomon's temple. Go through the revivals of the church age. Go through all of the glorious things that God has done. It is nothing in comparison to the glory that's going to fill the temple of God in that new Jerusalem. Some of you got tickets to the OU game, but you don't got tickets to go there. And I got a question for you today. 
How many want to go? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Here's the thing about this greater glory. God wants to reveal himself to us. I think there's a couple things that I think we should take away from this message this morning. First of all is this. Number one, God does not any longer dwell in a temple made at the hands of man. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I can reflect and radiate the glory of God. In fact, the glory of God is really reflected and manifested in our imperfections. The Bible says, for when we are weak, he is strong. Next, you and I need to realize the glory of the former is nothing compared to the glory of the latter. And we have to live in hope and expectation that what God has done, he will do again in greater measure. He will do it again in greater measure. I got news for us. If he doesn't do it in our generation, he'll do it in another. We just have to choose if we want to participate. Amen? Amen. Revive us, O Lord, and show us your greater glory. Church, as I get ready to close this morning, I want to ask you the question. First of all, question number one is this. Are you ready for God to do something new in your life? Are you ready for God to do something new in your life? In order for God to do something new in your life, you have to first allow him to do such. Do you know we can squelch or quench the Holy Spirit in our life? Criticism squelches the Holy Spirit. Negativity squelches the Holy Spirit. Sin, hidden, squelches the Holy Spirit. Unbelief quenches the Holy Spirit in our life. The great thing is you can repent of all that today. Lord, I forgive this heart of unbelief. Forgive my heart of criticism. Forgive my heart of not believing you to do greater things. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Come on. I'm ready for God to do some new things in my life. Amen? That's the first thing. You know, oftentimes we say, well, God's not moving like he used to. It's like the old story of the, of the couple. I've told this before years ago. I'll tell it again. It's like, it's like the story of the old couple. They're in their 80s. Little farm truck. They're retired, you know. They've been married for 55 years. They got grandkids, great-grandkids. They're in relatively good health. They're working on the farm. They're driving, and the man is, you know, in the driver's seat, and the woman's on the single bed cab of the truck. She's on the other side. She's reminiscing, man. She goes, you know, I sure do miss the days when we used to hold hands. 
You know, I miss the days when we used to sit next to each other, you know, in the truck. We, I'd scoot over in the middle and I'd sit over here with you. And I sure miss those days. The old man's just driving his truck. He looks over at his wife and he goes, I'm still in the same spot. You're the one that moved. You know, when we talk about, man, I miss the way God's presence used to be. I miss the way prayer meetings used to be. I, I miss the way revivals used to be. I miss all the things we used to have. God's driving the truck and he's like, I'm still here. You're the one that moved. See, sometimes repentance, it's not just I'm sorry, but it's going back in the right direction. See, some of you, God is calling you to scoot over in the truck of life and get next to him again. You see, you're saying, Lord, revive the world. Lord, revive the church. Lord, revive my grandkids. When the Lord's saying, let me revive you. Just, just get closer to me. And, and, and let's restore that intimacy that we used to have. See, friends, listen, let me tell you, everything God does in our lives, it starts in our own hearts. The first thing is, are you ready for God to do something new in your life? Second question. If you're here this morning, everybody please stand. If you're here this morning.